0: Good morning. If you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles. Turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. We're going to be in the second half of the verse. Philippians 1, 21b. If you don't know where that is, you can grab the Pew Bible in front of you. Turn to page 980. If you don't own a Bible, I welcome you to take that Bible home with you. This is God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible, and totally sufficient word. Amen? Amen. Here's what God's word says To die is gain. Do you believe that? This morning, as you sit there, do you believe that your death is your gain? Or do you believe that death is actually your loss? If so, could it be that maybe you're a little bit more in love with this world than you thought? Could it be that maybe you've gotten a little bit cozy here? Is there a part of you that still loves the world? What occupies your mind? Where are your eyes fixed? Are they fixed on your college degree, getting your new home, getting married, starting a family? Is it fixed on your upcoming vacation, hopes of promotion, retirement? None of these things are bad in and of of themselves. We know that. But have you settled for the joys of this world and forgotten all about the infinitely more glorious things that are to come. As one author puts it, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant By the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Friends, death is gain because it is a door through which we pass into our holiday at the sea. Infinite joy awaits us on the other side of the grave, but we can become so preoccupied with the passing pleasures of this world, can't we, that we miss it. The result is that we worry that death is going to rob us of our joy instead of actually deliver us to our ultimate joy. And I'm not saying any of that to say that death is glorious. Death is not glorious. Death is an enemy that God is going to defeat. But for the Christian, even still, death is gain. So I want us to see the benefits of death with a fresh pair of eyes this morning. My hope is that the sermon will loosen the world's grip on your heart just a little more and that our hearts will be pulled forward into the glories of heaven, that we'll see that, that we fixated on it, that we will look forward to heaven. And for some of you, I hope this sermon will serve as a kind of paradigm shift. That's a tall order. That's That's a big thing for me to say. But when we realize that death is our gain, because we get to gain Christ, well, then we've put our finger on something. We've put our finger on the very reason for our existence. You were made to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And that means, at least, counting the loss of this world as infinitely small compared to the infinite gain of being with Christ forever. And that's what I hope you see this morning. So with that goal in mind, let's go to the Lord and let's ask him for help. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for telling us the truth about ourselves and then telling us about the glories of heaven and the glories of God. Of salvation, Lord, we pray that you would do a miracle in the work of our hearts for those of us who are saved that we'll see these beauties in a fresh way, and for those of us who are not saved that we will see that we've been fixated on the wrong things and that we were made for you. Would you do that for us this morning? Praise in Jesus' name, Amen. I have four points for you, I want to jot these down. Point number one death is gain. Because we leave the cursed world behind. Point number two death is gain because we gain a glorified body. Point three death is gain because we gain our home. Point four death is gain because we gain Christ. I'll give this to you again as we go, but point one death is gain because we leave this cursed world behind. When God made the world, He made it good. Uh, Adam and Eve, they were in the garden, and every day was glorious bliss as they lived there with God. No pain, no anguish, no strife, just goodness. But ever since man sinned, a curse has been given on the world. Things have taken a turn for the worst. The curse hits the world like a nuclear fallout. All of the good things of this world now are mixed with all of the bad things of this world. Bright moments get swallowed up by darkness. Warmth seems to always turn cold. The sweet is often followed by the sour. Life in a fallen world is full of all kinds of miseries. So what I want to do now is just take a quick survey of Genesis 3 through 11, where we're going to look at how the curse has just wrecked creation. So in Genesis 3, the curse is given and includes things like relational strife between the man and the woman, hard, futile labor, physical pain in childbirth and in work, and then ultimately, death, the return of the man to the dust. On the very next page, you turn over to Genesis 4, and we see that Relational tension doesn't just exist between Adam and Eve, but it exists between all of mankind already. Hatred fills the human heart, and blood is soaking the ground. Cain kills Abel, then people want to kill Cain, and then Lamech is wounded by a man, and so he kills him, and then he starts making threats to all these other people who might want to get even with him right out of the gate. It's a world marked with violence. And strife. Then we go into Genesis 5, and we have a genealogy of death. It's just death after death. Each refrain of, and he died, and he died, is a knife twisting in the wound of God's good creation. I mean, look at it. Man was made to glorify God, he was given life and a spirit. And breath so that he might sing praises to God. And then death comes and it and it rips that life right out of man. Sickness and violence ruins the whole thing. One person after another after another. In Genesis 6 through 9, things progress so poorly that God says that he is grieved that he has even made man. Genesis 6, 5 says, The wickedness of man was great in the earth. And every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So, God decides to blot out every living creature on the face of the earth, except he spares Noah and his family. And so he sends the flood waters. Water, which is supposed to be a source of life and of wonder, is used as a weapon to destroy God's good creation. To judge the fallen world. You think things are cleaned up, but right after that, things pick up basically right where they left off. Sexual sin takes place. Enmity between man and woman, or man and the animals, increases. There's drunkenness. Man starts handing out more curses to man. It's right back in the same position a cursed fallen world. By Genesis 11, Man's rebellion starts to reach an apex. His depravity gets so ridiculously out of hand that he intentionally looks at God's commands and says, no, we're not going to be fruitful and multiply, and we're not going to spread over the earth. And so they wage war against God. Brilliant idea. And they build this big tower. We're not going anywhere. Well, it ends with the Lord confusing their languages. He spreads them over the face of the earth. And it creates even more division, more relational wedges that exist still even today. From, and God saw that it was good, to strife, futility, pain, and ultimately death. That's just Genesis 1 through 11. (laughs) It's all throughout the Bible, and friends, we live in the same cursed world today today. But humans have a knack for adjusting. You know, we, we settle into things. Oftentimes, this is a good thing. Our bodies adjust to things like the climate, our eating habits, our sleep schedules. But there's another way that I think humans, and Christians in particular, settle in. And it's really adjusting to things in kind of a bad way. That is this. We settle for the pleasures of this world as if that's all there is, and we can convince ourselves that really, this is a nice place, and things are just fine. <laughs> and in a limited sense, that's true, that, that can be healthy. The world is full of good gifts, and we should enjoy them and give God all of the glory and thanks as we enjoy them. But that's another sermon for another day. That's not what I want us to see. What I want to do is I want to point out the obvious that I think we might be tempted to miss. We overlook this. Creation is cursed. This world, it's a mess. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Think about it. Our bodies ache and are sore. We get tired and sleepy, often having to go days without any relief. We get cut and bruised, and battered, our bones break, I see, I see cast among us even this morning, we get maimed, we get disabled, disfigured, add to that the struggles that we have with sickness and disease, we get head splitting, migraines, chronic illnesses, vulcans, viruses, and infections, we watch our loved ones grow old; they fall into bad health. We see these crippling mental diseases like Alzheimer's and dementia. Just take away the people that we love. Nature is constantly trying to kill us—from tornadoes to bacteria to the laws of physics. We're never truly safe. We convince ourselves we are, but. The world is constantly trying to get us, surrounds us. With all of this going on around us all the time, we still have to wake up, go to work, clock in. And there we find that the ground literally and figuratively brings forth forth thorns and thistles. We work by the sweat of our brow. So often, it's like we're on a hamster wheel. We're just going in circles, Some days it feels like we're not doing anything. It's like we're going to the gym just to break a sweat, knowing that there's not going to be any gains at all. The constant grind, it's it's demoralizing. It's it's a painful thing to experience. Add to that the constant strife that we have with fellow man. From all-out wars between countries to the arguments that take place in our own homes. Everywhere that we turn, There's another dust-up, fighting with our spouses, someone yelling at the cashier, disagreement over politics, tensions with a Christian sibling in the church, turmoil in Ukraine, the death of innocent Christians in Nigeria. It's always going on. And then we have to wrestle with the emotional anguish of our cursed existence. We experience stress and anxiety and, depression. and based off all the things that we've just seen, no wonder we struggle with anxiety and stress and depression. There's a lot to be stressed, anxious, and depressed about. So as you sit in this room, maybe your marriage is struggling. I'm sure some of you loathe your job. Many of you are probably experiencing physical and emotional pain right now. Some of our members are sick and at home, even as I speak. We are all wrestling with this cursed world, this very second. And as as if all of that isn't enough, our inevitable death is crouching right at our door. It's coming for us. We don't know when it's going to rear its ugly head, and we hope We hope that I'll go in a peaceful and good way. And maybe you will, but maybe not. Honestly, probably not. Death is horrible. And it's a reality. And we have to live with that terrible reality in the midst of all the other issues. As Louis Armstrong says, what a wonderful world. So, Why walk through these painful realities this morning? Are Christians just masochists? We just love dwelling on painful things? No, I don't think it's that. I'd like to think that we're just realists. And sometimes we've got to take the rose-colored glasses off. So my first point this morning is very simple. Don't miss the obvious. We live in a fallen and cursed world. And it is full of miseries. But the good news is that for Christians, in this case, we gain through subtraction. When we die, we lose this fallen world. All of this stuff comes to an end. We won't have to deal with these realities anymore. And that should give us hope. Do you know that? Do you know that better days are ahead? where all the good things of this world will remain and all of the bad things of this world will be removed. It's going to be glorious. <laughs> it's going to be so good. Which brings us to the next point, which is like it. Let's keep rolling. Point number two. Death is gain because we gain a glorified body. So in that last point, I focused on how we suffer physically and emotionally. But that's not the only way that we suffer. We also suffer Spiritually in this life, that's because of indwelling sin. So, that is, because Adam and Eve sinned, we all inherit a sin nature. We love to sin. And this sin nature is destructive, and it is painful. For Christians, this pain is felt even more acutely. That's because we're wrestling with this constant friction in the Christian, between the uneasiness of our indwelling sin and this new desire to live as a resurrected new creature in Christ. Christians live with this kind of spiritual bipolar disease. Will I follow Christ or will I follow my flesh? Unless you think that's just something kind of flippant or chill or whatever, it's the worst. (laughs) Listen to how Paul describes it in Romans 7. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, meaning my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Can you identify with Paul here? Are you sick and tired of the internal struggle with sin? Do you loathe temptation? Am I going to reach for my phone and pull up images that I know I shouldn't? Am I going to allow my anxiety to keep me from going to spend time with the saints? Am I going to say that mean, hurtful word to win the argument? Or am I going to take control of my tongue and do the hard thing? And in these moments when we're being tempted, there's this groaning that takes place within the Christian. There's this torturous feeling. Sometimes it feels like we're going to explode. Waging war against your sin is like this constant low-grade nausea with these bouts of extreme sickness just waiting around the corner as we wrestle and fight against our flesh. That's just me describing the battle, you know? I mean, then there are the moments where we fail and then we give in to our temptation. Have you ever sinned and immediately knew you didn't even want to do that? (laughs) Instant regret. It's like eating too much ice cream. You know, you're just, it's like another spoonful of just pure guilt. You're like, why am I doing this? We say that in a silly way but have you ever felt that in your Christian walk I keep doing the things that I hate. Can you say that with Paul? I'm sick and tired of my sin. I hate disappointing God. I hate grieving his holy spirit. I hate those nights where I toss and turn God why you've loved me so much and yet I've I've disregarded your commands again I've given in to the deceitfulness of my flesh again I hate the feeling of emptiness sin never delivers it never gives me what I want it just makes things worse It's a hook baited with a promise of pleasure, and then the hook is set, (laughs) and it's followed with weeks and months and even years of just consequences and sorrow and guilt, and it's not worth it. And I'm terrified by the fact that sin is constantly waiting for me. It's right around the corner. This is a reality. It wants to pounce on me. It's coming for me. And I so often lose the fight. No wonder Paul says, who will free me from this body of death? I want this freedom. the answer to that, of course, is that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, He will free us from this body of death. He came and He died. And He was raised for the forgiveness of sins. And if you will turn away from your sins and simply trust in Him, you will be saved. And you'll be united to Him. Brother or sister, you've trusted in Him and you are united to Him. I want you to know that you died when He died. And you were raised from the dead when he was raised from the dead. And even now, in a limited sense, Christ has already freed us from our slavery to sin. We can, with Christ's help, actually have victory over temptation. And that's glorious. We get a glimpse of victory now. But the battle still rages on. The fight is hard. But that glimpse will one day not just be a glimpse. It will turn into a full and a final victory. How do we get there? First, we've got to die. We die. And then we're raised. And then we will be free indeed. That's gain. That's the deliverance from sin that we should all be excited about. And it comes through death. But then we get the new body, the new glorified body. And in this body, there will be no more pain, no more strife, no more futility that I talked about in point one. There also won't be any more of the temptation, no more sin struggles, only obedience all of the time. We will only and always do that which we want to do. You and I will be exactly how we were meant to be, little image bearers, joyfully imitating our Father. Oh, how glorious that will be. Death is gain because we leave this body of sin and gain our glorified body. Better days are still ahead of us, brothers and sisters. Look forward. It's ahead. Point three, death is gain because we gain our home. I don't know if you know this, but you and I were made for a different world, a better one. And because of that, we all have this heaven-sized hole in our heart. And the good news for you and me is that God wants to fill it. He wants to bring us home. So just as your hunger pulls you towards the kitchen and you reach for the refrigerator, so also the sense of homesickness. It's meant to pull your eyes forward towards heaven, where God is. So what do I mean? I mean that I know that you know that this world is not the way that it's supposed to be. You weren't made for the emptiness of sin. You were made for joy and satisfaction in something else. You know that. We're all looking for heaven, but not many of us know how to get there. But we have an example in Abraham, which we learn about through the book of Genesis and in Hebrews chapter 11, which I'm just going to kind of walk through, but you can go there in your own time. When Abraham was doing just his own thing in his hometown, God showed up, and he showed up with a promise. He said, Abraham... I'm making a home for you somewhere else, so leave where you're at and go there. Come along. And amazingly, Abraham packs up his stuff, gets up, and leaves. He didn't know exactly what he was going to, like what kind of place he was about to wander into, but, but he went. He trusted God. And he spent his days obeying God's commands and just watching, waiting looking for this place that God was going to build for him. However, Abraham died. He never saw the city, this home, that God was making for him. Not with his literal eyes, but Hebrews tells us that he saw it from afar, and he greeted it. He saw this home with his spiritual eyes. and Because of that, when he left, he never turned back to the old world. He wasn't like Lot's wife, who turned and looked and was turned into a pillar of salt. No, he knew that what was behind him was not better than what God was preparing in front of him. Abraham was looking for a better country, and he knew that God was going to deliver on his promise and bring him there. And what we now know is that when Abraham died, and once he is resurrected, he's going to find that home he's going to find exactly what he was looking for. So listen, Abraham, just doing his own thing, living in the world, and God made a promise of making a home for you. What Abraham did was he believed and he went. Here's my point. What God did for Abraham then, is doing for you right now through my lips. And that is this. There is a world that you were made for. There is a home. And God wants to bring you there. There is a home that will be the place that is everything you've always looked for. The purpose that you've always longed to understand. The fulfillment that you've always wanted. It's real. And Jesus is inviting you to come, even right now. Are you going to stay? Or are you going to come? That's the offer. But it gets a little better for us, right? Because Abraham just kind of was wandering around. He wasn't real sure what he was looking for, but he trusted God. If Abraham only had a dusty map, we have GPS. We know exactly how to get to the home that Abraham was looking for. And the reason is is because God sent the way to us. Listen to John 14.6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, if you're lost this morning, if you know that you were made for something else, I just want to invite you to trust in Jesus. Turn to him, the same Jesus, who can put your flesh to death, and give you a new resurrected body as the same Jesus who will take you to your heavenly home. If we just turn away from your sins, if you just trust that he died for you, you will be delivered to the celestial city. And more joy and perfection and good promises and fulfillment will wait you there than you could ever imagine. And brothers and sisters, I want to remind you But that day is coming soon. On the other side of death is a homecoming parade. Our homesickness will be finally satisfied. Our joy will be complete. And we're going to find all of that contentment, all of the rest, all of the satisfaction that we were designed for. It's not here. You won't find it in this life. We get a glimpse of it now, but the city is ahead of you. It's forward, so fix your eyes there. Keep walking the narrow path, and you will get there, just a little further. Don't look back. Death is gained because we gain our home. Point four. Now, last point: (laughs) death is gained. Because we gain Christ. So I said that death is gained because we leave this world, we gain a glorified body, and we gain our home. That's plenty of reason to celebrate. But if I stopped there, I would completely miss the point of this text, and I would miss the point of the entire Bible. We've got to ask the question why does God do all of these things? What's the point? Why does He take us out of this cursed world and make it new? Why does He deliver us from a body of death and give us a glorified one? Why is He preparing a home for us? And the answer is so that we might be with God. That's the entire point of creation. And that's the entire point of your redemption. It is why you exist. Adam and Eve were made so they would be with God and glorify Him by enjoying Him forever. And then when they fell in sin, they were separated from Him. The whole thing was messed up. And now we're separated from Him. But that's what Christ came to fix. He suffered once for sins, The righteous for the unrighteous. Why? So that we may be with God. Death is the ultimate enemy. In the Psalms, David is terrified of death. And I wonder if you share the same reason that he shares. And it's because he says, when I die, I can't worship you from the grave. There's no praise in the grave. But Christ died and he was resurrected so that he might turn death upside down. And what was once our loss is now our ultimate gain. Jesus says if you lose your life, you will find it. So why don't we come to Jesus and die and lose our life? It's still going to be painful, you're still going to taste death because you've got to die to your ambitions. You've got to die to your sin. You've got to die to your greed and your lust and your pride. And when you die to all those things, then you're going to experience a resurrection, a drop of honey on your lips now, but an ocean of sweetness in the next life when you're with him in his presence. Jesus died so that when you physically die, you will gain Christ. He died so that when you die, you will be with him in heaven. And now when we die in Christ, this cursed creation won't keep us from him. Our cursed bodies, sin-filled bodies, they won't keep us from him. And the wandering, homeless heart that we have will finally find its home with him face to face. So there's one more critical question that we have to ask. Is your heart eager for this? Do you want that? Is being with Christ your first love? Or are you at risk of being more in love with the the created things, the gifts, rather than the giver? Listen to John Piper. This is how he says it. He often does. He says it best. If you could have heaven with no sickness, and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Could you be? Brothers and sisters, let me be clear. If you don't want Christ, then heaven is not for you. We're going to a wedding service, and the groom has removed every barrier that stands between us and him so that we might love one another forever. The first thing he's done is he's taking us out of this cursed world, and the second thing is we've got to change our clothes (laughs) We can't go to heaven and go to this wedding service wearing what we've got on. The perishable must put on the imperishable. The seed must spring up from the ground. These filthy garments have to be changed out and resurrected in new white linens. And then as we go to this wedding service and we approach the wedding feast of the Lamb, we're going to see Him. What are you going to see? Just something you don't care about, or are you going to see your home? This is an example. My my home is not 1308 Morningside. My home in this life is where Jackie is. Well, in the same way, in in an even more ultimate way, Christ is your home. And when you get to heaven and you see him, you'll finally find what your heart has always been looking for. You will gain Christ. But if you aren't interested in the groom, if you don't love him, if you don't care about gaining Christ, then you've missed the reason for your existence. And you've missed what God has been talking about in the Bible and what he's been doing throughout human history this entire time. He is bringing you to himself. But if you understand that you exist to glorify God by enjoying him forever, then there are no sweeter words than these words in Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. If that's true, then death is our ultimate gain. It is the biggest gain in the universe. And then you can say with Paul, to die is gain. For I desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And again, you can say with Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to die is gain for I would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. If you really believe that deep down, then you are making God look good. You are glorifying Him with your life. So just, let's just pause. Let's just put all the distractions out for a second. The good things, the bad things, whatever. Whatever. Wouldn't it be better to be away from the body and with the Lord? Isn't it far better to depart and be with Christ? Death is gain because Christ is better than anything this world has to offer. And so I encourage you, I exhort you, make that your life's mantra right now that Christ, you are better than anything in this world and death will be your gain and you will make him look good. Now I know that no one does this perfectly, nobody. No one loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I'm urging you, brothers and sisters, don't settle for a half-hearted love Don't get fixated and consumed with all the things going on in this world. If you'll just realize that death is your gain because you gain Christ, then God will be glorified in your life. And to paraphrase John Piper one more time, God is most glorified in you when you recognize him as better than anything this life has to offer. I'm just, that's the whole point of the sermon. It's just to urge you to believe that, that death is gain, because Christ is gain, and it'll change everything. With that, I have to end with a warning. If you are not in Christ, then death is not your gain. Better things are not to come. In fact, things will never get better than they are right now in this life. You will never know better joys than the mixed joys of a cursed world. And then death will come like a wet blanket and be thrown over the, the smoldering coals of your life. If you don't trust in Christ for salvation, then you will not receive a glorified body. And you will be resurrected, not to life, but to a judgment. A judgment of eternity, of an eternity of separation from the God that you were made to love, an eternity of homesickness, and even worse than that, an eternity of conscious torment. That's all awaits to you on the other side of the grave if you are not in Christ. We will all die. Will it be your infinite loss, or will it be your infinite gain? that. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would magnify your name in our hearts this morning. Help us to see you as our ultimate treasure and help us to worship you who has caused our death not to be our ultimate loss but our ultimate gain because we love you. We ask you to do this for us for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.